Good evening, y'all, and happy Lord's Day. All right, so we have some awesome rings this weekend, and if I had to, is, am I on? There we go. Am I on? Okay, cool. Um, if I had to put a title on the homily this weekend, I would call this an attitude adjustment. The reason I say it is because in the second reading from St. Paul to the Philippians, uh, he tells us specifically that, to, to have the attitude of Christ. And he goes into this really awesome hymn, we call it, we call this the kenosis hymn. Kenosis is a Greek word that means empty. All right? And he goes into, what does it look like to have the attitude of Christ? And he says, Christ empties himself. He takes the form of a slave. He humbles himself. All right? And so he's, he's telling us that this is, this is exactly what we're called to do. We're called to have this attitude of Christ. Uh, and in many ways, we get this kind of personified in the gospel reading, in this parable of the two sons. And so we look at them, and each one has a different reaction, and, and, and they're very much opposite. The first one... The father comes to him and says, go work in the vineyard. And the son says, nah, I won't go. I don't feel like going. Nah, not for me today. But guess what? He changes his mind. He doesn't really desire to do the father's will at first, uh, but he thinks about it. And the Lord knows exactly what he was thinking. You know? um, maybe he's thinking that, you know what, maybe my father's going to punish me if I don't go. Um, and, and you think of a child sometimes. Like if, if you correct a child and you tell them to go in the timeout corner, they might cross their arms and say, no, I'm not going. Um, and, but they end up going anyway because guess what? You give them that stank eye, and then they go. They know not to mess with you anymore. They know that this is for, your own, for their own good to go in the corner in time out. The second son, uh, he has the initial desire, but he's lazy and he lacks diligence. Maybe the second son's a yes man. Maybe he just wants to, to, to show his father that, hey, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, yes, sir. You know, uh, he wants to, to put off the appearance that he wants to do the Father's will, but he doesn't actually go. He doesn't actually go and do the work. And so I think the moral of this gospel passage is this, that our actions speak louder than not just our words, all right? And we hear that all the time. We hear this, we've, we probably grew up hearing the phrase that actions speak louder than words, all right? But I'm going to add to that, that our actions also speak louder than our attitudes. Our actions speak louder than both our words and our attitudes, because that's what's happening here. You have the first one whose attitude is poor. Says, no, I will not go. But he ends up doing it anyway. His actions speak louder than that. And the second one says, yes, sir, I will go. So his words reflect that. But then guess what? He doesn't. Guess what the father remembers? The father remembers which one actually does the will. The father remembers which one actually goes and helps him to do the work that he needs to have done. And so we can kind of look at this in a way, too, and, and use this first reading where we hear Ezekiel talking about fairness, or, or God's talking about fairness. And so we hear him saying through Ezekiel, like, you think that I'm unfair? You need to kind of be pointing the finger back at yourself. It's like, I'm God. I'm perfect. He's, he's in a way, trying to remind us, like, we're the sinners here. All right, God created everything. He created everything with an order. And we're the ones in our humanity, or in our first parents, Adam and Eve, that go and they twist that order. In fact, they do the exact opposite thing that Christ is doing in this kenosis hymn from Philippians. Because look at what Christ is doing. It says that he, though he was in the form of God, Jesus is God. He does not equate equality with God as something he can just take for himself. It says to grasp at. It's not something he can just go and take. Even though he's God, he's equal with the Father, he's equal with the Holy Spirit, which our candidates are receiving tonight in confirmation. But Jesus realizes that he's eternally begotten. That just like with, with natural fatherhood, there's the sense in which a father has authority over his sons. And Jesus gives that authority to the father. He realizes that even though he is co-equal in majesty with the father, he doesn't just take that for himself. He realizes that eternally this is something that is given to him because he's eternally begotten of the father. 
All right? So, same thing here. It's not something to be grasped at. What happened with Adam and Eve? What did they do? The serpent tricked them to grasp for the fruit of the knowledge of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Told them to literally reach out. And what, what did he say? That if you eat this fruit, you will be like gods. You will know the difference between good and evil. So Satan is trying to tell them, if you want to be like God, reach for it. Grasp for it. And guess what? Christ does the exact opposite. He undoes original sin in that regard. It's a beautiful thing that you have this reaching out of Adam and Eve in that first sin. And Christ comes and undoes everything. Whereas Adam and Eve were greedy. Christ comes, and this is where St. Paul says in this beautiful hymn, he empties himself. Why? And this is really important with the attitude of Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others as better than yourself. He becomes a slave. It says Christ empties himself and takes on the form of a slave. He's God. Does he have to do this? Not at all. God gains nothing by becoming man, dying and rising for us. He gains nothing from that. Everything that he does in that regard is for our own good. He's trying to model that perfect sense of doing something for someone without expecting anything in return. And we have to be very careful of that what's in it for me attitude. All right? I'm a big Star Wars fan, and so one of the, the biggest characters in terms of just what's in it for me is Han Solo. All right? Think what Han Solo does, and he's known throughout the series as a scoundrel. He gets described as a scoundrel all the time. All right? in, in the first episode of Star Wars, the original one, you know, he, he takes Obi-Wan, he takes uh, Luke, and he takes him to Alderaan, and then he finally gets his reward afterwards, he gets his money, and then he takes off when they really need him the most. But guess what? He wises up. He's like the first son. He has this sense of conversion where he finally wises up and he says, you know what? I can't really use this money reward if there's not a galaxy left for me to use it in. And so he comes back, and he helps them defeat the Empire and defeat the Death Star and, and, and save the galaxy in doing so. Why? Because he realized there's something greater than himself. It's not just a what's in it for me. And Jesus does that perfectly. He shows us that even though he had nothing to gain in dying for us, he does it for our own good. And that's what he's asking of us here as well. He's asking us that in, in that sense of, of being a slave of love, to truly love, and I've said this in several homilies, to will the good of the other and simply do it for their own good, not to expect anything in return. And guess what happens afterwards? It says, because he emptied himself and took the form of a slave, that his name is exalted. That every knee in heaven, on earth, under the earth, everything, every knee bends at his name because he did specifically that. He emptied himself, made the perfect act of humility. And guess what? Was it fair? No. I don't think he wanted to suffer. Look at the agony in the garden. Jesus models everything he tells us to do, and the agony in the garden is the perfect case of him modeling exactly what St. Paul is talking about. Because in the agony, what does he say? This is the very last opportunity he has before he has to suffer the passion. The last time he has to beg the Father to say, Lord, take this away from me. And that's what he does. He knows what's going to happen. He's told the disciples three times already. All right? But it's right there in that last critical moment. He says, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But this is the important part of the attitude of Christ. It's the second half that's extremely important. He says, but not my will, but your will be done but your will. He surrenders that. Was it fair? Absolutely not. It's like what Ezekiel says. God's way, it doesn't seem fair in that. There's, there's no reward for Christ in doing this, except the fact that he gains us for the rest of eternity, which we add nothing to that, nothing to his glory. Uh, but he does that simply because he loves us and he models that for what we are to do for somebody else. 
Because guess what? If we always enter things with the attitude of what's in it for me, there will be people who miss out on meeting God and coming to know Christ because we fail to do that. If we are his hands and his feet, if we, if we can't get beyond the what's in it for me attitude, and we don't just do things for somebody out of love, guess what? If we fail to be his hands and his feet, that can be the difference between somebody meeting God and not meeting God. Or for us, if we're asking the Lord, like, reveal yourself to me in my life, and he wants to do that through somebody else, through a friend of ours, or through somebody else in our life, guess what? If they don't do that, if they have that mentality of what's in it for me, guess what? That's the difference for us between meeting God and not meeting God. That's how important it is with, with the sense of being a slave of love, with that attitude of Christ. And so for our confirmation canons tonight, this is so important for you guys to be able to reflect on this. And the Holy Spirit comes tonight in a very special way and puts a character on your souls and says, and I'll say in a few minutes, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be the one who helps you, just for all the rest of us who are confirmed, to be that slave of love, to have the attitude of Christ, because it's hard. It's absolutely hard. I've struggled with that myself. There are times when I feel like God's telling me to do something, and he's just bugging me and bugging me and bugging me to do it. And guess what? I have no peace until I say, you know what? Fine, I'll, I'll do it. Like, you just shut up. Not that I'm telling God to shut up, but it's like, you know, sometimes he just nags us to do things. And guess what? When we do it, we have peace. It's hard sometimes. And sometimes we don't feel that peace until well afterwards, because some of the things he asks us to do are extremely difficult. Confronting other people. We've talked about fraternal correction in the last few weeks. When he's asking us to do these things, it's difficult. But we look back later on, and sometimes it takes years for us to look back at what he was asking us to do and to realize what the lesson there was. I guarantee that first son in the gospel reading today, years down the road, looked back at that after his father had passed away and probably said, you know what, the shoe's now on the other foot. Now I'm the one who's old. Now I'm the one who has children. Now I need help because I can't do things that I used to be able to do when I was younger. And he learned the lesson of being able to ask somebody to help him out, even if they don't want to. He realized he made the right choice. That second son may have never learned that lesson and probably made life very difficult on himself because if his, his, his initial thought was, what's in it for me? Then when he really needs some, something and he can't repay them back, he's not going to get the help he needs. It's going to be a very lonely life and a life without love. And so that's, that's the call for us today, is to take on that attitude of Christ because the bottom line is this. If Jesus, who is God, can empty himself, take the form of a slave, how much more necessary is it for us to do the exact same thing?